0: As you guys are sitting, just maybe like, just move in that way. Just got word that we're just struggling with some seats, which is fine. So if, you, if you're able to scoot in, there's always front row available. For so those of you guys who are scared to get spit on and yelled at, front row is open, okay? So, but otherwise, if you could just kind of do one of these... And, uh, and if there's no if you can't move in, that's fine. You don't have to move. And if you're new visiting, just glad you're here. Glad you get to be with us this morning. We're, we love to worship Jesus, and we do that by singing. That's why we're singing the songs that we sing. We do that by sitting under the teaching of the Bible, which is what we're about to do. We do that by observing the Lord's Supper each week. That's why you see tables. We don't believe the Supper uh, gifts of righteousness or in any way, shape, or form kind of changes your stance with God, We leave God alone in Christ, forgives you of sin, reconciles you to God, and makes you his own child. And gives you his eternal life. And then we also worship by being generous, because Jesus was generous in giving us himself. And we give on the silver boxes on the back wall. Many of you guys give online, too. And we always want to say, if you're not a regular attender, remember, uh, don't feel compelled in any way, shape, or form to give. We're just really thrilled that you're here. Um, Two things real quick before we dive into 1 Peter 3 uh, this morning. One is... um, the Handel's Messiah, kind of like a concert, happens every year. We have a number of our own that sing in that, and also a number of you like to attend that. Uh, it is this Saturday, November 30th at 7 p.m. at Hawthorne Gospel Church. It's just a it's a really great evangelistic thing to bring someone to if they're musically inclined or they enjoy things like that. You can find out information at the Info Center too and I just want you to know that I know someone who actually went and became a Christian through going and loved just hearing the gospel through the song and it was just really encouraging. So know that. The other piece is if you brought your boxes for Samaritan's Purse, you've been packing those with your kids, they're due today. So you can put them, you see the the, the, the like pyramid that's building by the Info Center, just throw them on there or put them nicely next to it. Okay, don't just kind of like do one of these lobs. All right, we, we did that. Someone did that this morning they all kind of fell. So uh, just nicely, okay. I was going to say treat like your own home, but we don't treat our own homes good. So just just try and figure it out, okay? Uh, lastly, as we hit Advent in December, so we're actually going to press pause for the month of December um, as we walk through Advent through the whole month of December. So what we do is December 1st through the 29th, we pick kind of a theme and we walk through it. To press pause on 1 Peter. 1 Peter will resume... Um, January, so in the new year, uh, it'll resume. But we're going to do Herald this year. Uh, Herald is basically just all the names uh, that were given to God in Christ in his incarnation. We're going to draw from Isaiah 9 and kind of walk through the different names that were heralded as to who he would be and what he would do in his coming and his birth. And it'll culminate on Christmas Eve, and uh, we'll get you all that information uh, soon. But that'll start next Sunday, so look forward to Uh, that. Why don't we uh, pray, then we're going to hop into 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, Jesus, thank you for giving us time just to be together. Thank you for the Bible that we can uh, have to study and know you and to be encouraged. Thank you for a weighty word this morning, yet a wise word and helpful word, and pray it would encourage us and help us to be in a place of humility to receive it and enjoy it, and might it be used for the good of our souls and glory of your name. We pray for those today that are burdened and feel discouraged or distracted, that you'd help us right now to focus on what uh, you want us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, 1 Peter 3, Uh, if you read ahead or you have the study guide, you know uh, I am sending you into Thanksgiving uh, eagerly as I give you a sermon on husbands and wives. So I get to tell everyone how to like each other, not fight, on Thursday, okay? So uh, I'm excited to walk through this. It's an important text. It's a weighty text. It's... Uh, anytime God kind of walks us through things like this, it, it can challenge us in some really helpful ways. So I've um, even been praying this week that God would do that. But um, I want you to know one of the things that I've learned in the past 10 years or so of seriously following and pursuing Jesus is every time I come across uh, a command of God or a way that he's wired things to be, um, it's never not led me into deeper joy. And so uh, what I mean by that is God's not trying to rob me of anything. Um, and the more I've kind of seen these things and read these things, as God tries to kind of reshape my understanding of things and uh, retune my fallen mind, right, when I come to know Christ and, uh, and understand things the way he's designed them to be, um, as I do that, it really seems to boil down to kind of one question that's not easy, and that's, do you trust him? Do you trust him? I mean, do you you trust the way he's wired it to be? Do you trust the ways that he wills and works? Do you trust his word? Do you trust that he's for you, that he's not against you, that he loves you, that he hasn't forsaken you? Do you trust him. And uh, that's really exactly what Peter is, his persistent hope. In this whole letter, he's trying to remind us if you belong to Jesus, you can trust Jesus and what he says to you. You can trust how he leads you. You can trust how he shapes you. You can trust how he kind of goes before you in these events in life. And Peter turned the corner the last two weeks kind of getting into social relationships. So we talked two weeks ago about how human institutions and our role in that with government and other lanes. And then last week we saw work kind of more employee to work. And this week he gets into the marriage relationship in husband and wife and in the social construct of that. And what's amazing is um, Peter's going to say what the entire Bible says, which is that male and female were created both completely equal in dignity, value, and worth, yet God gives them beautiful roles. So so as husband and wife, we operate in such a way that we can make God look beautiful and Jesus look glorious. So if we don't know our roles, if we don't know what God's asking of us, uh, then we don't have clarity. It's not helpful. There's nothing um, good about that. And so um, for the sake of time, I want you to know, I'm just going to stay tethered to the text this morning, Um, but I would encourage you, if you want to, you can go listen to a sermon I gave back when we studied Ephesians. And I did one sermon on beautiful submission. I did one sermon on Jesus-centered headship. You can listen to those. That'll fill in some of the blanks as far as Genesis 1, 2, and 3, kind of the roles and how God inaugurates this whole thing. I'm not going to talk about that today. Um, you can listen to that. That's why they're still recorded, the gift of technology and the common grace that that is. Uh, go listen to that. Otherwise, we're going to dive right into verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 3, and I'm going to pray that Jesus helps us, okay? So this is what Peter writes. Likewise, wives, be submissive to your own husbands, even so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won over without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see the respectful and pure conduct. So, Here's what's important to get. Peter is still continuing his his stream of thought. He hasn't changed bases, he hasn't changed lanes. He's still saying the things that he intends to say all given the authority structure. And so Here, as you enter into this, he talked about human institutions, he talked about work, and now he's talking about social relationships. And here, when he says, wives be submissive to your husbands, no, that's actually protective for the wife. Um, Here's why. Um, If you read it in light of what he's already said, this is why I try to teach you how to study verses that build on verses, he's not just entering the scene, giving this command, he said it in light of other commands. So here's what this means. Um, If your husband is abusive or, or leading you into sin or leading and loving not away like Jesus. This doesn't mean that he just gets away with that. You've got uh, the authorities. You can call the cops on him if it's legal, and you can submit to the church kind of structure and deal with elders if that's the case. So um, listen, this does not set up the husband to be king, ruler, Christ. There's one who already has that job. His name is? Okay, good. So, so he's already got the role. He's got the job. No one else does. No husband can take that role. He's not ruling with a scepter. There is not chauvinism in submission. That's not what this is. What this is is a man leading and loving. We'll get to this in just a minute, so, so know this. Um, Peter's going to chat with the ladies for six verses, but dudes, you aren't off the hook. We have to chat for one verse, but it's the most weighty command, I would argue, than the other six that the wives are given, so just give it time, okay? So if you dudes are like, this is great, and she's getting it, well, you're gonna get it, okay? Uh, and if wives, you're like, man, this just stinks, be like, well, the, the dude's gonna get it in a minute, okay? So uh, it's, it's coming, all right? So um, here, here, let's just start with that first line. Um, where'd it go? Do we have our text up there? Wives love your, okay, good. Um, be submissive to your own husbands. Um, this does not mean that women submit to men, Right? Okay, yeah, that's right. Annalise has me. Like, like <laughs> you like that text. You're paying attention. So, so this is what this means. Like, like women, you're not called to submit to men in general. Like, like this, isn't, this is within wife to husband. This is in the home. This is a, a very clear, distinct design of God. So if a guy comes up to you ladies on the street corner and says, um, hey, submit to me, do what I say, call him crazy. All right, be like, get out of here. right? That, that's not, he's not following the Bible. So here as you're kind of looking at this, and as he's talking about this, Paul is talking about this role, and this does not negate equality, dignity, value, and worth. That would lead to serious abuse and denigration of women. That's not at all what it's saying. And we're going to talk about in a minute what it is saying and what it's not saying. But what it's doing is it's modeling the Trinitarian God. Um, our God exists, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, And they are all totally, equally God, yet distinct in their roles. Neither is less than. Neither is less God. It's the same way in the marriage relationship. And Paul gives a little bit more expression to the same command in Ephesians 5. You don't have to turn there, but what he basically says in Ephesians 5, verse 24, he says, As the church submits to Christ, that's how wives kind of do this with their husbands. Um, So what this text is is saying and what this text is not saying um the church using the beautiful verse in ephesians 5 that helps color first peter 3 um, if that's true of the church why does the church submit to christ because it trusts him right there's a there's a trusting the church has in the loving leadership of christ so this is what it means um Ladies, you're not ultimately trusting your husband. You're trusting God who's an authority over your husband. right? You're trusting the God who put your husband in your life. You're trusting the God who is over your husband, working in your husband for the glory of his name. And here are some things that it's not saying. It's not saying that your husband's instructing you to sin against God. You just go along with it. It's not saying that. Um, you submit first and always to Jesus. Husbands, you submit to Jesus first. Um, So do the wives. Um, Jesus never leads his people into sin, um, and so neither should your husband. Second thing, it's also not saying you ladies don't express your thoughts or opinions. Please, we need you. Right, like that's, that's not what it's saying. Many wives read this text and think, I can't feel or say anything. Now, we're going to get to why that's not true in a minute. But understand, any man who wants to love the Lord is a fool if he doesn't listen to his wife. Okay? So, wow, I'm surprised. Some, some of you guys like that. So, so good, this is a good service. So, so you just understand, like, you, you want to listen to your wife. You want to hear what she has to say. You realize God's put her in your life for direction, for influence, for, for all of those things. We'll learn that ultimately the responsibility falls on you as the man, but she's absolutely and equally engaged in the decisions that you make. Um, this text is also not saying you ignore all your husband's flaws. you ladies are like, I know, he's got a ton, right? Like, Yes, we have flaws. Um, Kristen sees them in me. Um, so let's just be honest. You'll all find things in your husband that you don't respect. Right? That, that's, so this does not mean you ignore those things. It's rather going to talk about speaking towards him in a way that's respectable, that helps him in the ways that you don't respect him. Okay? Um, that's kind of the language here, and that's what he's going to be getting at. Um, you want to encourage those areas you do respect to help him grow to who God wants him to be. Um, this might mean, rather than picking a fight, you speak to your husband in a way that influences him positively. Um, and we'll get into this speech. But, real quick, what's the point? Like, what's the point of that first line? It's mission, it's always mission. It's always to do something else. He says, so that even if some do not obey the word, they be won over without a word by the conduct of their wives. So in particular, he's talking to, Peter knows it's not abnormal for two people to get married. One person meets Jesus, the other person doesn't want to meet Jesus. One person starts loving Jesus, following Jesus, pursuing Jesus. One person does not want to pursue Jesus, follow Jesus, love Jesus. So what does the woman do? What does the wife do? Well, that's really helpful that Peter sees this not as uncommon, and Peter hasn't stopped his thought. If you are in the government, see yourself, under the government, see yourself as a citizen. If you're on the job as an employee, in the home as a marriage partner. Either way, you're trusting the way God set it up, and you're believing that this is the way that he works. So the question is, how do you win someone to Jesus even in marriage? That's what he's saying. He, has, he hasn't stopped anything. Okay, so, so what does mission look like in the marriage where, and you could, you could swap this, but he is speaking to wives particularly of a husband who doesn't know the Lord and doesn't really want to follow the Lord yet, is, is if you see that and them, there's a way by which they will be attracted to Jesus by your posture and demeanor and heart. Ugh. That's hard, Right? And this may be very encouraging, though, for many of you in the room. I know so many of us in this place have this situation. So this is not uncommon. But notice, I love the play on words. If they don't obey the word, they'll be one without a word. Right? So, so here's what the writer is telling you. If you find yourself in this situation, I would say it applies to even people who have both spouses or believers. Um, you learn to preach wordless sermons. Um, you learn to preach wordless sermons to your spouse. And this is why, when he says without a word, that actually means just without a lot of speaking. Now, this, this, this doesn't mean that you don't answer his questions, this doesn't mean that you don't ask questions. Peter's going to say in about eight more verses, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. He's just saying here, his point is not that you don't say or share anything. His point is that your posture will likely be more influential than anything you say. Okay? We just know this in marriage, right? I mean, we can talk all day, but like, I mean, how we operate says a lot more. Right? Now he's going to show you, though, how this is done. Verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold, or the putting on of clothing, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of the gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So as you preach wordless sermons, you do so with not just external beauty, but internal beauty. The scriptures are going to say there is an external beauty, but there's also an internal beauty. And in this case, the internal beauty is going to shine louder and brighter and more clearer than just the external beauty. What he is not saying is he's not saying it's wrong or sinful for a woman to dress nice or be presentable or man, Please do that, okay? Husbands, will thank you. It is, it, we like our wives looking nice and looking well and dressing good for us. That's a godly thing. That's not what he's saying. He's saying don't let that be the main way by which you seek spiritual transformation. That's what he's saying. Don't let that be the main way by which you try to get his heart to Jesus. I mean, listen, this is so countercultural, right? Go to any just checkout line, right? As you are, you know, go to the grocery store today and just look at the magazines, right? I promise you will not see one magazine with the cover that says, How to Acquire a Gentle, Humble, and Quiet Spirit right, and look internally beautiful. Like, you're not, not gonna find that. Like, you're gonna have the girl that's just like, hello, like, who's totally, like, paintbrushed up and, like, just like, hey, here's the way well, to look perfect, even though you never can. Like, it's just weird, right? So, so you won't find that, yet the Bible gives that, right? Maybe that's why we're, we're fed thinking that's gonna be the thing that wins him over. It's not. It's not. It's just something patient over time, this inward beauty he talks about. And in Greco-Roman culture, when Peter's writing this, the reason he's mentioning this is because there was like this extravagant adornment of women as these things were happening in the church and outside of the church. And Peter is simply saying that's not the main way you draw your husband to Jesus. It's the beauty of your inner person. As you continue to devote yourself to him and that matches your life, it draws him towards what you see as beautiful. So what does it look like to have inward beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit that's precious in God's sight? Ladies, ladies. Here's just a couple. It's not exhaustive. But using the text, here's a couple. Number one, a gentle and quiet spirit would mean that you respect him. So he, here's what I mean. I'm not saying you ignore his flaws. We already talked about that. I'm just saying there's a way you approach him where you can approach him respectfully or you can approach him sinfully, right? I mean, we all wrestle with this, struggle with this. But I think um, Kristen's really good at this. She's not perfect, okay, don't, don't, don't give her 10 out of 10, but she's amazing, but we all have our flaws, but man, she knows how to speak into my life when she sees me waning in this area. So here's what she doesn't normally do. She doesn't normally come in and be like, Mike, why do you stink as a husband, right? I mean, that would stink, right? I would just want to keep stinking as a husband, if that's how she said it to me. She doesn't come in and go, man, why do you hate our family? I'm like, oh, wow, I guess I do hate our family, right? She doesn't do that, she, she instead kind of speaks to me in ways by which um, they make me want to do those things. She so said, I just really miss when you like, open up the Storybook Bible and read Jackson these stories and, and the little things, pray with him and just, just talk about how life is with the Lord and you know what I'm saying, and, and what does that do for me? It, it makes me want to do those things. Um, doesn't make me not, not want to do those things, so a gentle and quiet spirit's one that just talks to him in a way that's respectful, not sinful. It's a way where you try to influence him positively with the way that you say things. Second thing is, um, it means you're careful how you speak about him. And this goes both ways. Man, nothing will wound a man more than how you talk about him or what you say to him with your words, right? You ladies, your mouth is powerful, powerful. So, So how you talk about him with your friends And how you talk about him with your coworkers, and like what's what's that like? Um, It's just an encouragement to talk about him in a way that is helpful. Um, It's not saying you stay quiet, and it's not saying you don't defend yourself under a domineering man. The word here for gentleness is the same word they gave Jesus, which is like meekness, which means strength under control. God's given you a profound amount of strength, you women, and, and use it under control. Instead of lashing out, right? Ask God for help in how to say things and how to speak and how to have wisdom. A uh, third thing this means <laughs> is I love you, but you're just not the Holy Spirit, okay? This text is actually liberating you from trying to be the Holy Spirit in your marriage and with your husband, okay? Um, there is only one God, it's not you. There's only one king, it's not you. There's only one person who can transform and change, it's not you right? It's him. And so when you try to be the Holy Spirit, it always goes bad. Listen, I just just carte blanche. Don't like test it out. I'm not really sure about that, Pastor Mike. Let me test it out. No, it, it always goes bad. I have never met a man who in the drive home from church, the wife goes, do you hear what Pastor Mike said? And then that dude is like, I'm going to implement every bit of what he just said. Right, that never happens. Right, <laughs> now, He's going home watching TV and putting you in the closet. Right? That's, that's not what's happening. Right? Then call me so we can you know, get that worked out. But it, it's, that's not what's happening. It's, it's somebody who trusts the Holy Spirit. You're steadfast in prayer. You live and love him the way you're able to. And you trust God to override your mistakes and override his failures and work in such a way by through you just following Jesus, he eventually and ultimately might see Jesus as beautiful too. That's the hope here. The hope is not you telling him necessarily, but walking alongside. And then you know what's awesome? Hebrews 12, God disciplines those that he loves. So so, so God will take care of him. God's going to take care of us. And you the wife, husbands to wife. It goes both ways. But we don't feel like we have to be the Holy Spirit. You don't hold that kind of power. God does. And so that's where you place your hope. And then we look at examples. Verse 5. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So Peter just gives an example of an Old Testament hero of the faith who lived out what Peter's talking about. Peter goes, hey, remember how Sarah called her husband Lord. That does not mean, that word just means she respected him. So she's, he's, he's saying Sarah did the same thing that Peter's talking about. She did not call him Lord in the sense that you're king, you're ruler, you tell me what to do. It means that she respected him. It means that she came alongside him in a way that influenced him positively. But I'm going, well, what, what other reasons is he mentioning Sarah? Because if you know anything about Sarah and Abraham... They had a jacked-up marriage, right? I mean, they made weird decisions. She followed bad counsel, gave him bad counsel, gave her good counsel, gave him bad counsel. Man, there were those things weren't clicking. I think the encouragement is that you're still a daughter of her. She was still saved by faith in Jesus, the future cross and resurrection. So you're gonna make mistakes, ladies. Like you're gonna screw up, you're not gonna lead and love well, you're not gonna influence him positively all the time, you're not gonna follow good decisions all the time, but God will override those mistakes and failures and love you. You're not called to be perfect, but make progress. That's encouraging for you ladies. Like, like, That's just what he's asking. Cling to Jesus, ask him for wisdom with the help of the Holy Spirit and trust that he'll help you. But you don't have to be perfect and you're gonna drop the ball. Um, and then he says something interesting, right? And don't fear anything that's frightening. Uh, there's some that may fe- hear this in fear. I don't know. What if he doesn't respond the way I want? What? I mean, what if like this doesn't work? (laughs) And, And he's just saying, don't fear that. Fear God. Trust him. Trust his way. I mean, there are things to fear, right? On the flip side, absolutely there are things to fear. When your husband is evil, sinful, abusive, angry, inconsiderate, mean, harsh, foolish, violent, dangerous. Yeah, you can rightly fear that right, and get the authorities involved, just read three texts back, right, where, where we don't want women to be in those environments, and the Bible doesn't either, so, so this isn't a green light for the man to be abusive and abuse what God is asking him to do. The Bible's going to call us to sacrificially lead, lay down our life as Christ loves the church. That means our, our interests are last, right? Um, but, but here what's amazing is it's saying just fear the right thing fear following the lord trust god's way trust god's word believe that you preaching wordless sermons is actually accruing in his heart something invisible that you can't see and moving him towards wanting to ultimately love and follow Jesus stay the course do not fear that which is frightening to you and then guys he gives us one verse but this one verse it's like a shrapnel grenade Right? So it just blows up inside and goes everywhere. Okay? So verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So now we know, based upon verse 7, that nothing that he said in verses 1 through 6 could possibly mean chauvinism. (laughs) Because he just cut off any potential of the Bible giving a green light for men to just abuse their wives or, or abuse their authority. So what he says here now, he goes the other way, because here's what happens. Man, people, people read those first six verses and they think that means I keep Kristen chained up in the kitchen. She only eats ramen noodles and like I can't, like she doesn't get to leave unless I give her permission. Like that, that, that's not what this means. Oh my gosh. Like, that, that's not at all what this means. I mean, instead, it's saying something totally different. Man, men in the Bible get lit up when they sin through acts of passivity where they put the role on the wife that they're supposed to be doing themselves, and they get lit up when they pursue aggressiveness and beat and pound their wives into submission. Man, those, wives are, those, those husbands are called wicked, sinful of Satan. That ain't encouraging. That's not a good label, Right? So that's not what he's saying here. Instead, he says something different. Live with your wives in an understanding way. Here's what this means. Um, There have been times in our marriage where I've said, Kristen, you just got to trust me on this one. There have been times. There have been times like that. But there are mostly times where that's not what we're doing. Like, listen, man, music choice in the car, I don't get that. That's the, I don't win. Like, okay, you want to play whatever that is over and over and over? It's great. Like, that's what you got. When I'm alone, love it. Pick my choice. You know, Jack's in the backseat on the other way to school. When we do date night, like, like rarely, I ain't going to pick the movie. Like, if it were up to me, Gladiator X Men, like, every, every date night. But that doesn't happen, right? That's, that's not the win for me. So I'm not talking about this way by which you're, you're submitting in every little decision. I'm talking about big, overarching decisions. Where are we moving, financial? Business, work, kids, right? And here's what this means is is within this, Kristen's called by God in those moments, if I'm gently, sacrificially, lovingly trying to lead in a direction that she's not sure about, she ultimately comes alongside that because she trusts the Lord, not me. Okay? But here's the thing. I don't strong arm her. Do you hear me, men? That's what that verse means. So here's, here's practically, it means um, I give time. So like when we were moving, leaving Virginia to move here to Planet Church, I didn't go, hey, Kristen, uh, we're gonna be moving to Planet Church, New Jersey. You got like Saturday by noon to tell me. Like I didn't do that, right? I mean, there was, there was months of like praying, okay, what does the Lord want? What are we doing? How are we called? Do we hear this the same? Right? There's discussion, there's getting other godly counsel involved. It's not just strong-arming them. They're in the process from beginning to end. Here's why. You're now enabling your wife to follow and come alongside you in the way she's called to. Otherwise, you're not allowing that for her in the marriage. That's why you have to work at it from that direction. Here's another thing this text is saying to us is... It says that we should love her and honor her, which means sacrifice. Um, It says, show her honors, the woman is a weaker vessel. Listen, that's just generally, simply talking about, in general, men tend to try to use their strength to overpower women. Listen, there are plenty of women that can kick the butts of men, so I'm not saying that like women are weaker. I'm just saying in general, right, that's the tone of men. That's the tone of men in a household. I'll use my strength demean you and just get what I want us to do. And he's saying, no, you honor the woman, and what that means is sacrifice. Let me put it really simply. Men, we don't love to get a response. And, and <clears throat> I'm gonna head into some waters where I may get, anyways, there's a, I'm just gonna say it. I, I, just, I have such a problem with so much marriage material just out there because it so lacks the centrality of the cross of Christ and it's solely motivated by self-seeking, self-motivated love, right? So, so it's, it's constantly this weird thing where like, if you do this, then you'll get what you want, right? So fill his love tank, then he'll fill yours. If you love her, she'll respect you and if you respect him, he'll love you. I'm not saying those things aren't natural overflows. I'm not saying it's not good to know love languages and relationships. I'm just saying at the end of the day, if you don't get that thing, where are you? Right, so, so here's the thing. Most guys think, all right, man, do the dishes. I'm doing the dishes. I'm cleaning them. I'm sweating. Throw them in the dishwasher. Throw it up. Uh, babe, love me. You don't get the love. You get angry. But I did your dishes. <laughs> it's like, I don't care if you did the dishes. But like, you're called to do the dishes even if she doesn't love you. And then even if you don't feel respected, Annalise loves that. Jerome, you're in trouble today, brother. Like, like this is, this, this is, actually you might be blessed today. So th- this is the, this is just the ethos that he's, that he's getting at here. Like both are operating in their role and when they do, it works beautiful. And when you fail, Jesus is still on his throne and marriage is an ultimate. That's why I love you who are single, man. It's gonna talk about how singleness has its advantages and its challenges, and marriage has its advantages and its challenges. Jesus is the win in both, right? And so so here he's showing us this. We don't love to get a response. Um, Another part of this is you romance her. Men, you have a biblical obligation to romance your wife. Now, when I say that, I know Some of you guys are like, man, I'm just not wired that way. I realize a lot of men aren't wired that way. I get it, and here's what is so amazing. You're like, man, I'm not prone to poetry, man, or creative dates. That's why God gave you Google. (laughs) I mean, listen, like I'm, (laughs) praise God, I mean, that, that we live in a day and age where you got Google. Like, listen. And you got to flip an iPhone. So like, romantic date, search. I just got 5,000 different ideas, all right? So you don't have to be William Shakespeare. You can just call someone. You're like, man, you really romantically kind of do things great in your marriage. Can I learn from you? You can just use Google. You can do Siri probably. Probably Alexa. I don't know. She do music and romantic dates. I don't know. Everything's coming out this Christmas. So like, you just get the right gift for the right spouse and just run with it. Common grace of technology is such a blessing. Oh. So you don't have to be William Shakespeare, brother. You can use Google. Just, go- man, I, I really want to Google it right now. Actually, I'm going to do that. Hold on. Let's just, this is amazing. Romantic date. This is live. I did not do this first service. Search. My gosh, okay, you've got 25 people tell you about the most romantic dates they've ever done. You got 45 super fun and romantic date ideas. You got 51 unique first date ideas from the most romantic date ideas. You've got 30 romantic fall date ideas. You're set, you're set for like the next 10 years. Praise God, let's pray, close, right? That's amazing. Other thing he says, other thing, I love that I just did that. Other thing he says is, We are co-heirs in the grace of life. Co-heirs of the grace of life. You know why that's beautiful and helpful is because this means men, uh, you're not the ultimate authority. God is. You're not the ultimate authority of the home. Jesus is. This means you listen to the counsel of your wife. Uh, Man, there are many wives that are so much smarter than their husbands. Oh, so please listen, ask them. Get feedback. What do you think? It's really wise. It's so helpful to seek their thoughts in making decisions. And once the decision is made, the man takes full responsibility for it. So you both make it, but I'm responsible at the end of the day. Because i gladly take that weight, because that's what God asked me. I'm responsible for that decision. And then finally... Peter knows that men can tend to get aggressive, tend to get angry, tend to get domineering, which is why he says, God won't listen to you if you're harsh. He's just going to go, I don't hear you. That is terrifying. That is so terrifying. I mean, if there's one person I want to listen to me, it's him. Like I don't care if no one else listens to me. I want him to listen to me. I want him to, like, hear my cries and, and answer my prayers, and, which is why he says this. Peter is saying you never under any circumstance are given the green light to yell at your wife. And if you do, which you will, you repent. Listen, I've yelled at my wife. But, man, like, I hope, I mean, with my conscience, you can ask Kristen, like, I, I'm quick to say, man, I'm sorry, like, that's, I've offended him, I've, I've, I've hurt you, and you repent and you get it clear and you reconcile and then you move forward. But the man who has a pattern of this, who doesn't confess that and acknowledge that, you know, God's not listening to you? Like, isn't that scary? Like, he's going, man, I'd, I'd love to hear you say, but you got to get that worked out. You got business to take care of, you're really perpetually angry. You're yelling all the time. and I mean, it's because there are some men who find joy in using their strength to strike fear in their wives. And it's just outright wicked. It's just not okay. It's just not right. You pray for your wife. You encourage your wife. You speak life into your wife. You don't compare your strengths with her weaknesses. You don't set her up like that. That's what Peter's saying. Um... And let me add this to, just to the men for a second. Ephesians five equates the husband being the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. So this is also talking about responsibility. So we sinned against God. Whose fault was that? Ours. Just I'll let you know. it was ours. OK? Who took responsibility? Jesus. Jesus did. Right, I mean, it was, it was on us, like, like we deserved to pay a debt. We were rightly in rebellion towards God and, and God comes along and in his life and in his death and in his resurrection, he actually pays the debt for us. He appeases wrath in our place. He becomes our substitute. He takes responsibility for the sin we committed for us, even though it wasn't his fault. Because men come up to me all the time, they go, yeah, but it's not my fault. I'm like, I didn't say it was your fault. It's just your responsibility. I didn't say it was your fault. I'm just saying it's your responsibility. And men that take responsibility can help enable their wife to lovingly come alongside them in ways that are fruitful. So wives, just pray for this in this way. Single men and ladies, pray for this in your future spouse or pray that God will give you this type of heart now. Um, Finally, here's the great news in all this. Single or married, Jesus is ultimate. (laughs) Um, the scriptures will tell us again, single or married, both have advantages and challenges, but the job description your spouse has or future spouse has is only something Jesus can fill. So listen, this sets you up to be free in your marriage or free in your life so your spouse doesn't operate as a functional God that it can never perform for you. Like, Jesus does that. So what you do is when your spouse fails you, which they will, you remember the unwavering commitment of God in Christ. You remember the unwavering faithfulness that God pursues you with, the unwavering committed love and committed mercy and committed tenderness that he always perfectly, humbly, gently leads you with and leads you by and leads you through so that when those times come, you're not ruined by your spouse's opinion or position or Persona, you're still okay because Christ is your identity. And you know that He's faithful when you're faithless. You know that He's strong for you. You know that He loves you. You know that He accepts you. So you're rooted there. So your identity is never in someone who's unloved, it's someone who's always perfectly loved first. And then we work out these other details. It frees you from the idolatry of marriage. And the idolatry of singleness. It frees you so that you can just operate and say, well, marriage is not ultimate. Marriage is not the end. Jesus is the end. Jesus is ultimate. So even if I don't have those things or get those things, I'm okay because I have him. That's a hard prayer, guys. Like, that's, that's not easy. I'm not saying this like, hey, you pray that and you're great and you have wings and a halo. I'm saying you pray it daily. You get up and you walk again. You ask for grace again and you ask for help again. Um, But Jesus ultimately meets our needs. He's the ultimate source of our joy and that's what Peter wants us to understand because listen, none of us have any hope at living out one through six as a wife and verse seven as a man if you don't have that. We don't have any hope, right? You got no chance. So we cling to Jesus and pray for those who don't yet cling to him. Let's pray. God, thank you that, that you're just available for help this morning. God, I know this is weighty hard. Thank you that you haven't called us to the easiest life, but the best life. Jesus, thank you that you're available today for help. Even as we pray to you and come to you now, you're available to give us strength and give us help and give us comfort and give us encouragement. God, thank you that you're able with the help, power, and presence of your Holy Spirit to um, Give us what is necessary to live as you desire, not to try to do those things or manufacture them, but that the Holy Spirit would bear that fruit in our lives. Um, I pray that you'd sow in our hearts a humility and a gentleness and a meekness. Um, Help us when we're tempted to act out in such a way that is contrary to what God and Christ has done for us first, that you would help us to respond the way Jesus has Lord, I just pray for those in this room that have um, spouses that do not love and yet follow Jesus, that you would use their life to bring them to a place where they do love and follow Jesus. And uh, God, those who are single would continue to love and follow Jesus always first. Um, and They would pray for these things in a future spouse. Uh, and then, God, you would help us when we need help today. Uh, thank you that you're good. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you hear us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, maybe just before you come to the table.